welcome to the podcast, Conversations As You Go, and uh, I'm sure that you're going to be super blessed today as we have Graham and Linda from uh, New Zealand. Graham and Linda are a mature couple. They've walked with the Lord for years, and they carry with them a deposit of wealth, some things that God has put in their lives. And uh, we've been together at Tribe Time over the last few days and enjoying one another's company, and I just thought I'd, I'd grab them for the podcast because I know you're going to be blessed um, Graham is on the board of Praxis, and uh, uh, he is—he he brings his passion and his deposit for world mission uh, into this, uh, into the, our world, and we're super blessed for that. And so Linda is on the the team there in Hamilton, and um, they're both married, um, but Linda uh, works there with Roger and just is a prayer warrior, and is has been going out in the harvest and. Both of them are working in the local church. Graham is a pastor of a local church as well. And so they carry a number of worlds with them as they, as they participate in the great purpose of making disciples in New Zealand and beyond. So welcome, Graham and Linda. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Graham, uh, share us a little bit of your story with us and your history. Okay, okay. So um, I was... Uh Brought up in a in a home with a um, allegedly believing mother and a grandmother who prayed and a um, dad who uh, was not walking with the Lord at all and uh, it was a reasonably destabilising upbringing for a whole lot of reasons which I won't go into um, and at, at age sixteen I became a follower of Jesus. I'm now 70, so unbelievably 54 years of walking wow. with Jesus. And, uh, and it's basically been 54 continually, continual years. Uh, I immediately started uh, speaking and preaching almost from day one and uh, spent much of my early years um, bivocational um, doing work and doing youth ministry. And uh, then the sort of second chapter, if you like, was um, my heart getting just totally messed up for the nations and world mission. And, uh, yeah, so the last half of the ministry life has been, yeah, just being passionate for for mission. I grew up, it's really odd because I grew up with... uh, if, if, if you could, if you could uh, imagine a family motto that you might grow up with, the motto I grew up with, and my surname is Wilson, nothing terribly good ever happens to the Wilsons. That was my family motto. And uh, so it seems incredible to me now looking back just what God's managed to do with this uh, messed up 16-year-old and... Uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey of um, seeing lots and lots of finance released into mission and uh, becoming a real encourager uh, for people. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah, it's the grace of God. I'm just over the moon about um, life so far. Looking forward to the next chapters. Hey, Graham, if you could encapsulate what caught you about world mission, what was the shift that, that God did in you uh, from focusing on New Zealand mm-hmm. to the nations. I went to a world conference for our movement, which incidentally happened in Melbourne at Monash University, and uh, I found myself at every meeting for a week, getting into the meeting and crying through the whole meeting. I wasn't sad, 
and um, I was confronted with flags of the nations and different nationalities, and it was the beginning of um, a real shift into world mission. Yeah, yeah. And as I look back, I just think God was just totally melting my heart for the next chapter. So it was it it, it almost took me by surprise a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, as God does, oh, things things happened, and before we knew it, we were sending out missionaries um, from our local church and raising uh, unbelievable amounts of money um, to support them. And before we knew it, we were travelling and encouraging people on the field. And yeah, outrageous story. So so good, so good. And you know, the money question is so vital in all of this because it's often overlooked that God's people need to be resourced to do God's work. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how, how important money is yeah. in all of this. And some people look at this and think, oh, that's really worldly to think like that. Yeah. And they, they, the money is it's almost sometimes out of bounds. But yeah. such a crucial area of resourcing mission. It sure is. Yeah. It sure is. Yeah. We, um, we, we were really impacted by a guy called Jack Haynes, who's mm. up in Penrith in New South Wales. And he introduced us to the whole concept of faith commitment or faith promise giving. So all the time we've been leading uh, for the last 30, 30 or so years in churches, we've always above and beyond our normal offerings. Once a year we've challenged people to, to nominate an amount they're going to believe God for, for overseas missions. And so it's been... It's, it's been amazing, and Linda and I have been on our own journey with that. I mean, phew, it's scary to think how much money we've poured into overseas missions. And I remember just a great testimony around that because I really want to encourage people, man, we need to learn just to be givers. And uh, we got to the where we were thinking we were going to be retiring, and Linda said to me several times, Graham, I want our house paid off by the time... Retirement. We retire, and um, I was thinking, well, that's great. How are we going to do that? Are we going to stop giving or, or <laughs> what? And um, I remember being down in, 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 the, in, the, in the gardens area of, of where we live, um, just at, in an open park, and I was praying and walking, and, and I found myself grizzling to God. I found myself reminding him, Lord, we have given, and I named a figure of thousands of dollars, and Lord... Um, and I almost started to get grisly, and I and I caught myself and said, um, "Lord, I, I, I caught myself getting grisly." I threw my hands up in the air and I said, "Lord, everything I have is yours." In a moment of surrender, and straight back at me in, in my in my head, I heard the voice of God saying, "And everything I have is yours." And I went, "Whoa!" And then I went, "Yeah, but how do I turn that into dollars?" <laughs> Unbeknown to me, a business person I never would have expected at that time was talking about giving money to a couple of ministries that uh, they really believe were worthwhile, and unbelievably, we were one of them, and um, that was in December of, of one year, and in March of the next year, he stood in my, my kitchen and gave me a cheque for $50,000, which was half of our mortgage. So, so, so um, the... Half of our mortgage was paid off just like that. And then way before Linda was um, retirement age, the mortgage was gone. And so I don't often tell the story because I don't subscribe to 
you give it and God will give it back to you in cash. But it just happened for us and uh, it was an amazing thing. And so I've always been passionate about um, encouraging people to give, particularly to the nations. Yeah, to amazing. nations. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, now on, on one half of the table we have Graham, and we've just heard his story, but on the <laughs> other half is, a, is an equally wonderful uh, partner here, Linda. Yeah. Tell us about your story. Yeah, mm. I, I was just thinking about this when I heard of oh, the, the lady that was a lady that was talking this morning. The me, my middle name is Christine, and it means Christian. And I thought this is before my parents became Christians, and I thought God already had His hand on me. <laughs> and and my parents became Christians, and I can remember just picking out little bits along the way. Me and, and uh, my sisters started a little Sunday school when we were teenagers. Uh, with, we had six brothers, so that wasn't... We always had a base, <laughs> little brothers, but others and just from homes. We went to homes and said, would you like your kids to learn about God? So uh, all along the way, there have been times I stepped out because I wanted to, you know, um, just see people come to know Christ. And... Um, so we, we, uh, to shift it right, right along, we, we met through YFC, didn't we? And um, we were involved with the. Kids That's there, Youth for Christ, youth for Christ. not Christ. Young Farmers Club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So we, we were always involved in service and, and with young people a lot. And uh, as time went by, um, got involved in church, and I sort of realised a disconnect was coming between. Uh, the unchurched in my world because we were in a big church at that stage and I thought I'm not seeing anybody be affected for Christ in my life and the satisfaction grew in various kinds of ways and so I had lots of questions and when I was working with youth especially intermediates I mean that teams of those for years I always longed to see them really connect with God, and I just couldn't quite know how to do that, you know, really see it. I had lots of fun and really enjoyed those kids, but felt like I didn't see the fruit. But as time went along and we were seeing, you know, salvations on our board and stuff at the church we were at, I used to look at it and think, "Mm, actually... There's only one person that's effect, you know, seeing the results in our church. The rest of us are sitting there thinking we're doing something and we're not. And so as time goes along again, um, the statistics out in New Zealand were coming about New Zealand being amongst the 20, uh, 20 least evangelistically growing nations in the world. I thought, boy, that's a reproach on us as the church in New Zealand and other ones came out, uh, other sorts of statistics coming out which actually seen the vital you know, Christians, evangelical Christianity shrinking and I thought how can we even think we are doing what God wants us to do you know, when this is happening in our nation So, but in our support of missions we, um, missionaries overseas Every time I came back to New Zealand, sitting in the plane, and the plane was landing, I was thinking, seeing what we saw overseas, I'd say, God, how can we see it in New Zealand? It just pained me that somehow we weren't seeing this stuff, what we saw happening overseas, happening in New Zealand. 
So one of our missionaries, Grant, he got involved with Praxis. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but and he started talking to us and invited us to the David Watson coming over. Do you know what year that was? 2015, I think. Oh, okay, okay. And um, so Graham and I went, and the thing that's really stood out to me, there's only 20 people there went there. And I can remember being absolutely flabbergasted because we'd have big conferences in Auckland or Wellington or Christchurch. We we weren't very much... um, you know, um, going to those very much, but I thought people would be interested in how to make disciples. And when I only saw 20, and half of them were missionaries, weren't they? There was two couples yeah. were getting ready to go, people there was others in that were coming back. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and one of them was, was Brent Weaver, and they've really developed disciple making movements amongst students in the Ukraine. So, yeah, that was really awesome. But it, it, it was, I was just flabbergasted because I thought, surely everybody want to know and hear more about how do we go about seeing more disciples made. So that was the beginning. <laughs> that was the beginning of your DMM journey. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, wow. and so, Betty, um, so when we came to um, the tribe time in, was it, 2018? 2018. 2018, yeah. I think it was just after that. Because that, um, I can remember seeing Roger there and thinking, I think God's got his hand on Roger for New Zealand. And um, and then we went back and, and things just started to roll. So four years of... <laughs> of it's of, exciting to see, actually, what's happened yeah. so far. Yeah. But before we jump into that DMM transition and that DMM, embracing the call to make disciples... If I could ask you both one question, you've been walking with the Lord for years. If you could sum up the major lesson that God has poured into you in one sentence, uh, what is it? What's the the life message, the foundation? That this is, man, this is what God has has shown us. But condensing it down to almost like a sentence or a slogan, or and I know I'm springing this on you um, <laughs> unannounced. But what would that be? What would that uh, be for you both? For me, yeah. Uh, what Jesus did on the cross is absolutely enough to cover all of my potential foolishness, yeah, and failure. Amen. Yeah. Mm. God is faithful. God has been patient. (laughs) He's walked with me um, and has just brought me through to the place that I am today. So he's faithful, I guess that's the... Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Um, so, so you came along to Tribe Time and David Watson and you know, a growing frustration and a heart for world mission and, and, um, and then God has been doing stuff and uh, God has called you into spaces where you weren't five to ten years ago. Um, tell us about that journey into, into this idea of making disciples and, and what does that look like for you both? So for me, I think back, and that, that, that growing frustration of, because we were in a, uh, on staff at a large church initially, um, and uh, we would have uh, these stats up on the board of how many people have made decisions, and uh, it's it pretty hard to find out where they all are now, 
And as Linda said, we would have a big event and people would come to the church and um, someone really good at giving altar calls mm. would, would um, in a reasonably emotionally charged situation, get people to put up their hands. And then we would all feel, we would all rejoice about how, about what we'd done. But as Linda said, most of us had done nothing at all. It was, it was a bring them in and we'll get them saved. And I thought, <laughs> that whole thought of we do all this, all this effort and really most people in the, in the seats have done nothing at all. Even I as a leader, unless I was directly involved, did very little apart from turn up. And then, then I remember actually part of the journey was we heard about something called G12. Hmm. And so we actually... Um, started to commit ourselves to getting involved in the G12 thing. The thing that attracted me then and what attracts me to DMM is this whole thought of being intentional Mm. Mm. towards people that don't know Jesus and actually taking responsibility for people in our world, you know, the people in our world, so our circle. And so, and, and I've defined intentional living as living as if the people in your world had asked you to show them something of what Jesus is like. Yeah. So I'm not free to be grumpy to check out operators. I'm not free to be grumpy in public at all. I joke that I save it all up for when I get home to Linda, <laughs> but I don't. Um, and this whole thought of actually taking absolute responsibility for how we conduct ourselves in the world, because we're a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Mm. And so that all of those things combined, and then I, then I go along to hear Dave Watson and you, you Dave, and, I, and I'm just sort of thinking, oh, yeah, I, I, was, I was blown away and quite, quite, yeah, quite uh, impacted by the whole thought of, this, yeah, th- this, is, this brings it all together, really. Mm. For us, and it's so doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And Linda, tell us a bit about your journey and what what's been highlighted for you as you've jumped into this space, and what's God been bringing out of you, but also poured into you. Um, one of the questions, you know, when I was to reflect on coming back into New Zealand, I think, and and the whole thing was about it being organic and. Um, Doable because I mean, it gave it, you know, tried out different evangelizing things and always felt they were quite contrived, you know, like you had to have the right questions or all of that. And, um, you know, that just didn't connect with me really. And so the, the whole thing of it just being natural depended on the Holy Spirit, of course, but it, it, it's not contrived and. So the whole thing of having um, um, casual conversations and meaningful and then spiritual and then discovery, it, it just sort of, it, it was natural. And um, I'm not a good arguer. Graham's very good at <laughs> having arguments, but I've never been there. I just, I just can't, I'm just not that sort of person. So being able to sit with people and... Um, 
be with them and listen and pick up on what they're saying and being able to drop in, you know, little gospel, you know, just say, well, God bless you, or hearing what they're saying and saying, well, my experiences and to begin a spiritual conversation out of meaningful was is just more me. And actually one thing was both Graham and I are trained counsellors as well, so we had learnt to listen to people and ask good questions. But it didn't always relate to our being out there uh, with the unchurched and or just non-Christians. So there'd be elements of it there. So that those sort of little things that came out of... Um, being a follower of Jesus but being intentional in your life were, were things that sat well with me and felt more felt, I felt more comfortable with mm-hmm. and so even going into Huntley you know into this new town and think oh you know it, it's, all that's just natural and it's, it's it's neat talking with people and you know just discovering more about them and looking for those opportunities that God opens for us. Bring us into that story of Huntley, because I know you've been prayer walking the region around Hamilton, and and, uh, you ended up on this one town that had a certain distinctive qualities or that you've heard about, and then then, um, your, I won't put words into your mouth. No, well, with with some of the towns we'd look up, you know, um, either what it means, what the name means, or um, just look up online, you know. So we looked up online, Huntley, voted the worst town in New Zealand, you know. And, and we had known people who'd lived there and what it was like, especially on the west side um, of the river. And so anyway, we thought, right, we're going to Huntley. And, and we were travelling there, praying as we went. And I can remember some of the prayers we prayed. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was dropping those words in our mouth. And one of the things I can remember asking the Lord was, Lord, help us to come across people who love Huntley. And, you know, sort of knowing kind of the story of the place. And so when we arrived there and got out of the car to walk up the little main street, uh, very rough, uh, but kind of cool, a lot of people walking up and down, we, we would stop and we saw a lady cleaning an ANZ um, bank, you know, because of COVID they would have, they had, she'd have to clean it. And so we said, oh, that's an interesting job in the conversations. And the next thing we know, she's telling us about herself, she's telling us about family, and she's, I just love Huntley, you know. But she had to move on because there were people waiting. And, and so we went up further up the road and I, I met some men talking by the river and it wasn't long before they were saying, telling us about themselves and what they do, and they love Huntley. And so we, we just, just person after person, and we even had a person approach us and say, oh, you know, you, um, you live around Huntley or uh, anyway, and, and discovered he'd lived there a long time. And he said the same thing. And when we drove away, we felt like God was saying, that's the welcome mat. So we knew we had to keep going back and every time we've gone back we've had quite significant connections and we're starting to build relationships with a few have a real real heart for Huntley so um, you know realise that that God has it's got something appointed for this town and it isn't as dim and grim as it sounded it was friendly 
and very community-minded. So we know God's got plans for that place. It's coming out more and more as we go and keep going. And we've had other people, when we go, we get a whole lot of people, text them, you know, we're going to Huntley, could you please pray? Pray for these points. And, And I believe that that's been part of it, that as I've prayed, things have been even more open than we've had in other places. Yeah. Graham, uh, coming back to you, um, you, you kind of turned up at this ragtag mob in 2018 and you looked around and you sniffed the air and I mean, if, if I was you, I'd run back to your local church and say, let's get on with the real stuff here. What attracts you into this group of kind of disciple makers and, and uh, yeah... I th- oh, um, primarily um, something happened in God um, in terms of um, another heart-melting time probably and just hearing the passion for the lost, it started to answer the qu- question of how are we going to see this happen in our context in, in, in a Western how am I going to possibly see unchurched white middle class Joe Blow in New Zealand reached for Jesus and um, I started to see possibilities and uh, so I didn't go back saying let's get back to the real stuff, I went back thinking how can we begin to see this happen in our local church context because remember if you look at it realistically, very little is happening in our local church context. Um, particularly, very little multipliable um, is happening. And it's the few that are really gifted and awesome, um, evangelistically inclined people, that tend to win people to Jesus. But generally speaking, uh, the rest of us don't. Now, I had the advantage of um, our little church is incredibly missional. If you line up, the whole congregation, um, probably 75% of them could name specific non-believers that they're engaging with and praying for. You know, it's awesome. Mm. It's awesome, but the, yeah, the, the, just the thought of now, how is it going to happen? And so this whole thought of um, praying a lot, looking for the person of peace, um, starting to look at the scriptures together rather than preaching the gospel as such, mm. We're all these tantalising, I think I've used the word when we've talked, I get quite tormented by it all in a very good way, um, that, yeah, there's something that can happen here. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I didn't go back saying, let's get on with the real business at all. Yeah. I, I think this is the real business. Not so much, I love, I love the fact that when we talk together here, even at tribe time, this isn't a rah, 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 DMNs, DMMs, the answer to things. It's the king and his kingdom yes. and finding good ways to introduce people into his kingdom in a way that they can introduce others who can introduce others. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So just cool stuff. I mean, I went back inspired. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're abs- I was uh, inspired that you guys will turn up into our midst and, and love on... People, and that's one thing that I see you both full of is love. There's very much a, a, a mark of the love of God 
on you and how you love people and how you get beside people and encourage and, and pastor. And, uh, it's, it's such a blessing. Linda, I know that you did some training here in our gathering on prayer and um, God has um, poured into you some things and keys there. Do you want to just share with those who are listening some some of the things that you've been talking about on prayer? Yeah. Um, well, it, it started, the, the thing that I talked about here is about multiplying harvest prayer, and it's something we've been talking about on the team in, in New Zealand, and uh, and. Um, I thought, oh, how do you do that? You know, because a lot of the people that, or like Keith and Joy and others, uh, they've been missionaries overseas and they come back because they've already got people that have been praying for them. And um, we haven't. <laughs> We've always been doing the praying, you know, for others. And I thought, oh, I haven't got this list of people, you know, that um, I can get praying. So the question came up, though, multiply and multiplying harvest prayer. And I thought, oh, well, what does Jesus say about that? And so that, that got me looking, and, and I just did a brief overview of starting with Jesus, who, and I thought, how did it grow? What was the harvest aspect, and what, how did it multiply? So Jesus started off right at his baptism, and it says he went down and prayed and he was baptised and that's when the heavens opened up and his ministry began. So Jesus, the very first thing in his ministry was prayer. The, the, um, um, very, it was a very brief one. It shows us a lot that Jesus went alone and prayed. But he also took John, Peter and James up with him to pray and that's when they had when they saw the um, um, year the transfiguration, so but he took them up there to pray. Didn't say he took them up there to see that they did, but they prayed. And so here's Jesus, you know, teaching them. And then, of course, they asked him, "How do we pray?" Teachers like John the Baptist taught his disciples, and of course, in there was, "Your kingdom come, your will be done," and it starts with the Father. And so. Jesus, in that teaching, was establishing what our prayer should be about, the kingdom of God and his will being done. So, I mean, I pray, we pray that a lot. I pray a lot for lots of things. And the other ones were that when he sent the 12 out, he, you know, he had to pray for workers, and he did it when he sent the 72, the same. So it was established that when we look at the harvest, we're to be able to look at the harvest, that's what he wants, or the fields, they are ripe to harvest. He wants us to look there, but he also wants us, along with that, to pray for workers as we go. So it's all kind of, it's not do this and do that, and it's all mixed in, but the prayer... So, so it multiplied, it went from the 12 to the 72, then he sent them when he ascended to... Um, Jerusalem and they waited and there was what, 120 there wasn't it that day of Pentecost Peter preached and 3,000 was it? 3,000 came and it says immediately after that they met in houses and along with fellowship and attending to the apostles teaching they prayed and so there's the whole and I saw the whole multiplication 
fact is, well, how, then it comes down to how do we multiply prayer? And I realise it's step by step, you know. My own prayer life has grown. Um, we pray with one another a lot, but I also um, is, um, seen people that I can invest to, into and encourage to pray for their world and then get them together, others to pray, and that's the multiplying side of it (laughs) so yeah so I like the overview that helps me capture something of what God wants for us it's fantastic Mm. Um, you you mentioned the word in particular I want to pick up on is the idea of harvest prayer Mm. is there another kind of prayer I mean why do you use the word harvest based prayer um, during COVID and probably happened the same here in Australia um, there's a lot of prayer going on, you know, on Zooms, and there's national prayers and, you know, things that you can join, a lot of them. And so I would I would sort of pop into some of them. Uh, they would pray for this place, you know, this town. They'd pray for this group of people. They'd pray for that. But what I notice is that very few prayed for the unchurched and the harvest. And, and it was... It sort of perturbed me a bit, too, because, I mean, that's what we want to be about. Sure, the prayers are great, and there's nothing wrong with the prayers, but this missing factor of the harvest, and Jesus, twice, with the 12, well, very plainly, with the 12 and the 72, and with the Lord's Prayer, it's about his kingdom, it's about the harvest. And so um, and so, the, in going... We need to have focus on prayer in the harvest, you know, yeah. for the harvest and yeah. for those who have not heard. That could be in a very uh, specific way with our neighbour or the people we're reaching out to, or it could be in a more broad way when we're looking to breaking into uh, an area or a town or a country or whatever. Yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome. I know that you can tell that the temperature, the spiritual temperature of the church by looking at their bulletin and looking at their prayer list. And, um, and uh, you see, A, what they're doing, and uh, B, who they're actually praying for. And I, I notice that in most churches' prayer lists, it's usually very in, insular and is centered in on ourselves. And it's good to pray. It's good to pray for people who are sick in our congregation. It's good to pray for those things. But very, very few uh, pray for the harvest. And uh, where the majority of our prayer, I think, is to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Most of our prayers, Lord, bless us and protect us and keep us. Um, and uh, so that shift is one of the most significant oh. shifts, I think, in prayer, is to jump into engagement with lostness and how we engage with God's heart for lost people. Yeah. Um, it really is exhibited in how we pray. So that's kind of why I wanted to pick up on that term, yeah. harvest prayer. Yeah. Graham, um, what are some of the things that are principles that you are pick- you're picking up on on DMM uh, or making disciples that you go, wow, this is really important for us to grab as the church. And um, uh, what's, what's uh, those kind of ideas there? First, to comment about prayer, yeah. one of the things that we have done local church-wise forever is every Sunday we pray for an overseas missions focus yeah. and a local mission focus. 
So it's part of our prayer thing in our services. Wonderful. And that keeps us focused outward. Mm. Um, as far as principles that I've seen in, in, in the whole DMM thing, I love the simplicity of it. I, um, the, word, the word is that in New Zealand, 6% of New Zealanders are probably follow, uh, convinced followers of Jesus. Um, and so that's a very, a very low figure in some ways. But actually, if you do the math, that means there's only 15 non-believers each for us to reach. And so <laughs> yeah. the answer has all... And that 6%'s been the same forever. Yeah, right. Nothing's changed. Wow. Um, and so th- this whole thought of... The whole answer to New Zealand and, and Australia is for the existing people of God to be mobilised yes. to reach the 15 each. And so, but if we line up the, the, the 6% um, and ask them, how many of you um, can tell me who the, who the lost people in your world are, only a certain percentage could, could name it. And then if we said, how many of you are praying for specific lost people in your world, the percentage would drop. And so we're not even praying. (laughs) (laughs) And so you get the DMM thing and you you say, look, just just start to pray. You know, walk walk the street if it's a a geographical area and, and pray and do what you can to be conspicuously Christian. So be kind, be loving, seek to help. Often to pray, offer to pray for people if you find them sick, and um, and look for people of peace. I mean, it's so doable, and anyone can do it. Now, not not anyone can go from not even knowing who the non-believers are in, in their world are to start having a, being friendly and having conversation because some of them start. But everyone can begin to pray. And as soon as we pray, as soon as we pray, um, we become sensitised to non-believers around us and we, we begin to see the opportunities that have always been there for us to be his hands and feet and his mouthpiece. Yeah. And so this, it's so doable. And, and there's no pressure like, I'm one of these guys, if someone's, even, even now if someone said, okay, we've, we've been meeting and now we're going to go out and we're going to approach people on the streets of Canberra and ask them about their spiritual life, I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's not me. Door knocking? No, it's not me. Yeah. But um, walking prayerfully, and following the guidance of the Spirit to approach a certain specific person, um, that's really doable. That's really doable. So for me, it's just, it's just wow, this is a very doable thing for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. good. So yeah, good. Yeah. And prayer really, uh, that intentional harvest-based yeah. prayer, kind of um, takes the blinkers off our eyes. Yeah and pushes us into the space of intentionality, doesn't yeah, yeah. it? And just yeah. really helps us engage um, yeah. uh, purposely yeah. with the kingdom. And it's not a, hey, I want you to... It's not what I call compulsion evangelism, but it's, um, it's, um, 
all about uh, finding where God is working yeah. and just jumping into that yeah. space and going with that. And it's just really exciting. So, And we already talked about that scripture at this tribe time. It came up somewhere where... Acts one, where the the Holy, where Jesus is saying to them, "Wait for me, wait until I send the Holy Spirit," and and, and that that basically said to them, "Look, is this the time that you're going to restore Israel?" And and that did, and and as the people of God, particularly in this, we can get so caught up in you know the end time stuff. You know, we've just been through the COVID thing. Oh, what are they doing? And what are the plots? And you know what. What, what are they planning? And Jesus said, it's not up to you to know the time, but when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. And, and he didn't say you'll go and witness. You will be my witnesses. And in the midst of all of this, as, as disciple-making movement people, we, we, we just know where to focus on making disciples, not on what they are doing or what plots and plans are afoot, but what is, you know, our call, our call hasn't changed. That's it. Yeah. That's Be it. my witness, make yeah. disciples. <laughs> yeah, so good, so good. Yeah. So, it's, so one of the other things about prayer, um, because we've been praying long term, like 30 years for Arche, yeah, yeah, and um, and other countries in and Bihar. The, in Bihar, we've been prayed for Bihar for years. So that's why I was in tears when I was hearing about yeah. Roger. Um, that one of the things we've learned is constant, consistent prayer, mm-hmm. and never give up. Hey, eh? we've prayed with people uh, that probably didn't have a lot of other people praying for them and hitting really, really hard spiritual stuff in some countries. And we've prayed for years sometimes through a particular thing. Other times it was quick answers to prayers. Other times not, but we never give up. And I think that has, that's really put us in good stead, you know, for... Um, as, as you, you um, pioneer something or get into seeing something begin to happen, there's always that long, you know, thing and always praying. And, and every time I realise too, every time you come to prayer about something, you're still praying about it, you, you find the Holy Spirit um, form prayers in your heart that are about another aspect of it. You know, it doesn't, it's not like paying repetitive prayers and almost like the rosary or something like that, nothing. It's, it's, it's fresh every time you pray, but it's consistently keeping on until you see the answers or that God brings the word that you need to hear about what to do with it. So, yeah, so we've been very privileged with that, haven't yeah, we? we have. And I, I just say to people, you know, praying for missions of any sort is is where you really learn to pray because it's it's not anything to do with yourself. It's totally not. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that when Luke records the um, parable of the persistent widow, yes, he prefaces it with the thought: Jesus told this story yeah, yeah. to teach us to pray and not to give up. Yeah. So the scripture. Assumes that the business of prayer is going to be an activity in which we are tempted to give up. That's right. And we must persist. And we must pray 
Believe in God that every one of those prayers undermines the foundations of the work of the enemy over that person or that region's life. It amazes me. And we, I wonder how many times we've given up just before <laughs> the breakthrough. I, I, um, I think that in this conversation, you've just um, nailed it in the sense of um, this is the work of God's kingdom is based on uh, the prayer warriors that do not give up. And uh, many, many times we judge prayer through uh, charisma, how loud people pray, <laughs> or uh, you know, someone in a meeting can pray in a dramatic and faithful way, or they can string words together in such a way that we all look at their eloquence. Um, but it's the prayer warriors that do not give up that I think the work of the kingdom advances so strongly on. I, I strongly credit um, the work that we have been doing, uh, not based on uh, the prayers I do, but the prayers of faithful warriors that have stood with us and have not given up on us or what God wants to do on us. And they have prayed, and I can, I can mention a number of them, and they're usually people that have learnt the lessons the hard way. They've hung in there over the years, not the weeks or the months, but the years. And they've just, just done exactly what you've just expressed, is that kind of warrior in prayer. I mean, my mother-in-law is one of those. She's just a, a warrior. But I, there's numbers of them. And, and um, that work of the kingdom. And, and like you said, um, it's, it's not just we pray and we do nothing. It's as we go, we pray and we engage purposely in God's will. But it's that prayer warrior kind of focus. And I think if the listener is listening to this and just reflecting on their own prayer life and they're reflecting on uh, their, you might not feel that you're a great prayer or that you can string words together. But if we learn to be faithful in prayer, if we learn to be consistent in prayer, if we learn to to just just be turning up before God and allowing God to use us and push us in uh, for one week, one month, one year, five years, ten years, the, the deposit is that we build great, great things in God. And God invites us to participate in that prayer your kingdom come your will be done yeah, yeah because um, for me prayer is hard work Linda's often energised by prayer I have to really particularly in a prayer meeting I have to really focus I'm one of these guys looking at my watch thinking how much longer to go not because I don't want to maybe it's ADD or whatever but I meet some people that are incredibly... Linda's, Linda's uh, energised by prayer and time flies and for me often it doesn't. And I think of Paul, I think he says of Epaphroditus, to, he's writing to one of the churches. Colossians. He, yeah. is, labor, he is always labouring in prayer for you. And so, yeah, it's just not meant to be fun. It's, and for some of, it, some of us, we just have to... Labour. Have to yeah. do it. Yeah. But it is fun for some of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess I'm talking, because some people listen to yes, people talking about prayer and they go, oh, gee, I can only go five minutes, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so there's this whole thought of, look, it's like a muscle. We just need to develop it um, and, and hang in there. And, and, yeah. and one thing I've learned is um, I'm, I'm like you too, Graham. And uh, I, uh, the way to learn to pray is to hang out with prayers yeah, yeah, yeah. and to, to pray with prayers. Yeah. 
and um, to to learn uh, that consistency by being with people who have learnt this life lesson. We're not talking about just simply opening your Bible for a couple of minutes every day and saying, "Oh Lord, help me get through the day." You know, so, yeah, the the adage of you know some people wake up in the morning and say, "Good Good Lord, it's morning," <laughs> not "Good morning, Lord." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, just hang out with people who pray, yeah. catch it. It's caught more than talk. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Just um, we've um, uh, been uh, filling in the time wonderfully. It's uh, raced away on us. It does, has And uh, I just wonder, as you've been um, on this journey, and you, the people who are listening to this uh, would, um, would, would um, just take away something from our conversation today, what is it that you, a word of encouragement or a prayer that you would, you would like to leave with us as we uh, wrap up this podcast today? I, um, I think of that scripture, he who began a good work in you will complete it. And uh, it sometimes can feel quite slow, you know, I sort of think, man, I'm a slow learner. But God is faithful and he will complete what he started in you. And the other um, th- thought that came to me, let God take you for the ride, <laughs> mm. you know, because it is a ride, and it's um, these things you have to take off the train, these things you bring onto the train, but the train keeps going. He'll take you for that ride, and it's it's exciting. Mm. It's exciting to be involved with what with God's heart and what He wants to do in this world, in our world. Yeah, so that's been my main. <laughs> I think one of the things we actually haven't discussed about DMM, which I want to um, put into this final little thought, is obedience. It's all about obeying what Jesus has told us to do. And so for me, uh, we, we just need, and I encourage everyone listening, just obey the last thing Jesus <laughs> told you to do it's we can't be discouraged by lack of outcomes um, because the, the major outcome of our life has to be loving obedience to Jesus and so I want to just encourage you despite what you see or what you don't see uh, keep obeying keep just keep obeying the last thing he told you to do and because uh, we know that what does the scripture say our labor in the Lord is not in vain. I've been incredibly inspired uh, as, I've, as I've been involved in missions to think of some of the early missionaries that packed all their belongings in a coffin when they went out to the mission because I'm pretty sure that's how they were coming back. And, and some of them died before they even got to the mission field. And so is that a waste? No, it's them obeying the last thing Jesus told them to do. The outcomes are up to him. I love it. The outcomes are up to him. And it's all for us just to say, I think, I think David Watson says, um, God's love language to us is grace and mercy. Our love language to God is obedience.